Did you listen to the my episode on the cynical developer? I did, of course. I was fortunate enough to be uh, to be interviewed on the cynical developer, which is another great tech podcast from the UK, uh, run by James Sadart. We'll put a link in the show notes to that if you'd like to check that out. Just a small little plug there at the start of the show. Well, that's how it's going to be, is it? Self promotion all the way with you, then? Eh? Yeah. Did you know I'm speaking at Futures now? It's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, but joking aside, I did listen to the episode of the Cynical Developer, and it was excellent. Um, yeah, well worth a listen to all. So if the people are listening to this, they definitely are interested in people starting to learn how to code and how they got started in their careers. And you gave a good report of yourself, and it was an interesting discussion. Um, yeah, well done. Yeah, and that, that's one of the podcasts I used to listen to when I was learning to code. So I would advise people that were in my position to check it out as well. Yeah, it seems like a good resource for all that kind of stuff. I'm guessing then in your job this week, you've written some code, probably? I have actually, yes. Oh. What a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> was it good code or was it bad code? Um, I'd like to think most of it was good. I'm sh- I'm 90% sure some of it was bad. <laughs> Well, I also wrote quite a lot of code this last week, and I think, yeah, I'm refactoring a lot of it at the moment because I made some interesting decisions, which I am now already two days later paying the <laughs> paying for with blood, sweat, and tears. I'll just do this little bit and just leave this here, and I'll, I'll come back and refactor it later. Yeah, we've had it doubly so because I've been I've been working on a, a prototype um, which has kind of passed beyond like the first proof of concept stage. It's now a thing that is going to exist and is amazing and real, but that comes with you know great responsibility. Uh, so now you know, there have to be tests, and I have to be sensible about my state management and all sorts of different things. Um, so. Are you not writing tests as you go along, Tom? I wasn't earlier on. No, I was just getting the thing done. A lot of it's UI work, which is my defence. But yeah, no, I'm bad, bad developer. I am a, I am a code first, test later developer. And did you want to write bad code? Was that your plan? <laughs> no, I, I, even at the time, as I was writing it, I did not think it was bad code. <laughs> I thought it was good code. I thought it was excellent, <laughs> production ready. I believe I said to my colleagues. Um, uh, <laughs> no, so <laughs> I, I'm, I'm perhaps overstating for comedic effect, but. Yeah, it's a th- it's a thing that happens that there are factors outside of just general work and coding that have an effect on code quality and I thought it was worth talking about because particularly when you're learning it's very easy to fall into the trap of like thinking that code happens in a vacuum. So you've written some code that may or may not be bad. I've definitely written some bad code this week. What are we talking about this week? Well, as you may have guessed, we're talking about why do people write bad code? So you said you thought you were writing good code at the time. What made you think that you were writing good code if you're now saying it's bad? <laughs> uh, I think when you're in the heat of it, the white heat of creation, and you're solving a problem and you're actually getting something done and getting towards your goal, you're making progress, it feels good. Um, it's easy to get sort of swept up in the results as much as the path that you got that got you there my problems are are quite specific i think (laughs) to me and i sort of wrote myself into a corner and then suddenly the thing became more complex than i originally intended so i had to refactor to basically it's state management is the issue at hand here i was managing state in a few different places when it could have just been done in one central place and sort of dispatched off to everywhere Um, so i had to refactor that Um, but i don't think i think that is one of the more 
like natural causes of bad code. That's like you, you've written something that's maybe not actually the best solution and you're refactoring it to clean it up. And that's part of the natural process of writing. Like you, you write and refine and write and refine. And, and I've always written like that. And the, the best code that I've ever written has been written in that process of sort of starting off with like, get the thing done. Yeah, well, the, the, old, the old thing of uh, make it work, make it fast, make it good. That's the that's kind of how it goes in the story of going it, getting there. But quite often, I find, and certainly have found in my past career, and also looking at other people's code that I've had to look at, that not all code goes through those three, three stages. Not not all code works is good and is is fast and is good. <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully, it all works. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised. That is not the table. Basically, it is not the table stakes that you would think it is. In some cases, <laughs> got some really fast code, but it just doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> it gets those error messages to you at a very efficient rate. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I've definitely come across this as well. I think it's just you kind of you want to. Well, when I'm writing code, I kind of I just write, 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 write until it kind of works. Trial and error, trial and error. And then I think, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll come back to this later and refactor it. And then kind of other things happen. Uh, a bug report will come up or I'll have to get on with something else. And, yeah, I've got I've had the same feeling of you as here's oh, I'm just I'm making loads of progress. Let's keep writing, keep writing. And then I've ended up just kind of lightly shuffling some code under the rug and just being like, oh, yeah, it works. It's fine. Um, and then I think that's that's definitely one of the factors that that developers are a little bit lazy, probably, <laughs> and just kind of, if something works, uh, do I really need to go back and make this suitable for use in the future? Yeah, I think lazy developers and the natural process of things are always bad before they're good are kind of two reasons that new starters can comprehend as to why bad code can exist. But I don't think it's always the case. I think there are other factors that make bad code happen that you perhaps like might take you by surprise when you get further into a job um, that maybe you didn't consider when you were daydreaming about what it was going to be like to be a coder and how amazing it would be to write code every day. Um, and I think it's probably worth talking about. Mm. So you talk about things that maybe aren't actually, uh, aren't the developer's fault necessarily. <laughs> just kind of, well, that, yeah, the, the, that's trying to, trying to get us, trying to get us off the, uh, off the hook here. <laughs> yeah, the, the apportioning of blame is, you know, that's not something we should maybe dive into here. But I think, <laughs> as a developer, I'd say often it's it's very very rarely developers' fault. No, uh, yeah, I'm saying that developers being bad and developers being lazy are two legitimate reasons that bad code exists. But they're not the only reasons, is what I'm saying. I think there are other reasons that are less well thought, like less well known, and that people don't factor in when they're making grand pronouncements about how people should write their code and how people should like the the workflows that people should have and what they're teaching to people particularly new new starters who are learning often the impression i get is that people have to learn the realities the hard way um, and i think if people are forewarned and forearmed perhaps they can be better positioned to overcome those because it's a it is a skill to kind of negotiate the real world as well as the the pure and magical land that is just code. Hmm. Well, I'd be uh, I'm definitely interested to hear what some of those are. So, do you want to talk us through some of those? Yeah, I guess it will be hard in your position to get you to talk through some 
tricky problems a because you've not been doing it for too long but also you've only been doing it for one company so you say anything bad and they instantly know that you're moaning about them <laughs> you know who i'm talking about <laughs> but i imagine it's all it's all per- perfect you seem you seem far too happy to be working somewhere bad so. <laughs> <laughs> that's true <laughs> yeah i mean the, the biggest the biggest biggest thing is always is deadlines like like we've talked about um already like that process of, of make it work make it fast to make it good um if you get caught up like you, you've only got time to do one or two of those things you're going to stop naturally and you're going to end up with a essentially a compromise getting shipped and that happens all the time code estimate i i, I worry because i'm particularly bad at estimating how long a task is going to take and i have colleagues who are much better at it but i think perennially developer optimism is, is is a known factor i think managers and and people higher up the chain already account for the fact that developers are always way too optimistic in how long they think something's going to take um <laughs> i've i've decided to just add two weeks to any estimate if it's if i think it's going to take an hour i'll just add a couple of weeks that's uh, that's very very <laughs> sensible there are there's um there are various different uh, tactics aren't there for dealing with developer optimism like uh, times it by pi or um, yeah, there's a couple of frameworks. I can't remember. Have to... Basically, it's always going to be longer than the developer says. <laughs> yes, <laughs> hard and fast rule. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, the things that I'm guilty of is not not considering like when I'm estimating is not considering the time it takes to actually then deploy the thing when it's got and to go through a QA process and to work out the inevitable bugs that happen. Um, and there's a lot of like the ancillary stuff. I just I always think of the what they call the happy path. Like everything goes right. I solve everything when I think I'm going to solve it, and I put the things in order together. I don't enc- don't encounter any problems. There's no no dependencies that are playing havoc and need to be reinstalled. No clashes of namespaces or anything like that. Everything just works nicely, works how I expect. That's kind of that's what I think of in my mind when I'm thinking how long is it going to take me to solve this problem. Well, at my at my work, we we do something called planning poker. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Yeah, no, we do it as well. Yeah, it's a good. Yeah, so we kind of the whole team sits around and then you'll give like an estimate of how long you think it's going to take and then you don't average it out i think you like if one person's really high and one person's really low you get each of them to discuss why they or to tell the group why they picked that number and then you kind of have a revote and see if everyone kind of lands on a similar sort of number so that's generally works quite well but even when we do that it still ends up being longer <laughs> the really important part of that process i think is that explaining like it's it's not just getting an average of everyone's opinions like you say you've got to have that it's bringing everyone's level of knowledge up in the group because one person may have vastly underestimated uh, like the complexity of the task and then they get set straight by the person who's more experienced who goes oh actually you know that's 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 really hard for x y and z reasons but it could you could also equally have someone who has solved that problem many times before and knows knows like a shortcut or knows a good library that can can fix that and or a plugin you can use that will just eliminate the problem um, that kind of often happens but it's that shared knowledge that helps make that uh, if not accurate then at least less inaccurate than an individual's estimation <laughs> would be yeah it, does, it is a good process and you do find out more about the problem ahead because uh, like you say people have got different experiences and different uh, approaches to problems so yeah that's that's something that's very useful when dealing with deadlines so Despite that, they they still do happen, don't they? And you end up uh, not not necessarily writing as good code as you'd want to, just because you don't have the time to do that, um, not because you're being lazy or anything. Yeah, and it's uh, no matter how well you estimate internally, 
you might nest i mean the thing i like best about working in a product environment now is that we're setting the timeline whereas in an agency sometimes you the timeline is set by an external factor i mean and even mm-hmm. internally you might be trying to aim for a trade show launch or a particular event that you're um sort of building your schedule around um so we've like oh this thing is happening so we need to have our products lined up before then and done and through qa and everything so you sometimes forces force you into <laughs> <laughs> into a into a tighter tighter schedule than you'd like and that is where that's like the 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 primary reason of things not not working but i think hand in hand with uh, deadlines comes low budgets as well i mean if you're in an agency you are you're at the mercy of the clients that you get everyone comes in like any problem is solvable if you just throw money and resources at it but not everyone has enough money and resources to complete that to to afford the perfect solution and the time that it takes to make the perfect solution you often have to adjust and say, oh, well, we're going to give you a slightly reduced version of what you really want because actually the resources are only for for this much. Yeah, and I suppose um, sometimes that doesn't even matter, does it? If people know that they're going to get something that's a little bit low quality because they don't have the money or they don't have, they can't spend the time on it because there's a, there is a tight deadline, then 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 it's fine. It's like that's what's expected. Life is not perfect. You're not going to be able to write perfect code every time. Um, and just accepting that and going, we're still going to do as good a job as possible, but there is going to be a, a knocking quality here because we can't spend the time on it. And I, I guess the budget is closely related to deadlines, really, because you don't necessarily pay for how good the code is. You're paying for the amount of time that people can spend working on it. Yeah, that's a very good point. Those two are very much hand in hand. Um, another thing that sort of ties them together is that you can, with enough experience, you can know all of that before you start on the project. You can know that, oh, the, the deadline on this is really tight because of we, we've got this event that we want to get the thing done done in time for, or we know that the budget is quite tight because the client's not for profit or they're doing this kind of whatever, they're a small business. We work. You can work out a solution in advance to those scenarios. There's a, a bigger... Like the elephant in the room, I would say, is that there are outside of budget and deadlines, there are other factors that can make code bad. I think like, they all tie together, and there are companies out there where programming is not one of the like I don't know one of the one of it's not a valued discipline. Um, I've been in an agency previously where it was very much a secondary factor to selling. Like it, like once the sale was made and the client was in and they'd committed X budget to to making something happen in a certain time, like the focus of the company shifted to the next project. It wasn't on the thing that they'd committed to building. They weren't too fussed about the mechanics. That was just like a tick box exercise. Oh yeah, can we can it do X, Y, and Z? Uh, doesn't matter if it's any good or not. Like it just has to work for long. It just has to work for long enough to get you through the whatever retainer period you've got where the client where you're on the hook and responsible for bugs sounds like a dodgy car salesman really. yeah it, it's every every <laughs> stereotype. once you've bought it yeah. that's it yeah. yeah and it's i think it's important that people know starting out that these companies do exist i suppose it might be hard from the outside to recognize whether that company is that sort of company uh maybe it's only when you've spent a few weeks there that you've realized that they're just focusing on getting customers and not actually delivering fantastic products to them yeah and it's it's tough to tell from the outside i mean mm. i'm just trying to think i've worked at one really like like shady place um everywhere else has been i've been i don't know if i've been lucky or it just i've worked with lots of good people the work i've done has been valued before going in to 
the good places didn't feel any different to before going into the bad place. Yeah. It is tough. And in retrospect, I think I would recognize now I know a few more questions to ask and like be a bit more probing when you're when you're being interviewed, you're also interviewing them so to get a sense of their uh process, get a sense of if you can ask questions about what happens when yeah, things do go over budget or things do run uh, over on the deadlines. Like how does that? How is that handled? Um, and what their responses are? They may not tell you the truth, but you can like hopefully read in from their answers how they value those steps and like well, how they value development in the company. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, um, I did. I guess I didn't know to ask any questions, but kind of, I suppose if you do a bit of research on a company and you maybe speak to people that, like we said on the, I think we we've talked about this on a previous episode go and talk to people who have worked there or are working there um maybe the ones that are working there won't be as honest with you but i imagine people who have worked there in the past may have um something to tell you so i guess you can have a look on linkedin or something and see where people have worked before and then go maybe send them a message and just say what do you think about this company or like if you get into a network in your local community say for like the cornwall geeks if I imagine if one of us was applying somewhere, we could go and speak to the people there about if anyone had heard of that company and you generally pick up things about local companies, especially if they're bad. Um, I think especially, uh, generally you hear about companies, especially if they're really bad and especially if they're really good. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of good ones that slip under the net and there's there's probably, I'm assuming there's probably bad ones that slip under the net as well, but you generally, like in retrospect, bad companies have a bad reputation. People are more willing to talk about things that have gone badly for them. Yeah, that's true. That have been People fine. have got an axe to grind. You, if you've worked somewhere terrible and someone says, oh, what was it like working there? You say, well, right. roll, up your, <laughs> roll up my sleeves. I've been waiting for this conversation for months. <laughs> yeah, so just getting, getting in on previous employees' desire for revenge. <laughs> and I suppose along with that sort of attitude is going to come maybe like a, a it not being a very nice place to work in the first place and like you say not somewhere that is going to be totally focused on you being able to write really good code and you might have meetings every 10 minutes and things that look like you're doing a lot of work but aren't actually a very good for the code quality yeah it's true and you can have like, i hate to say it but toxic team members do exist there can be members of members of teams who are just a bad influence and who just are like drag the quality down by having particular maybe old-fashioned ideas and being a little you know, and just aggressive with who they work with making people not if people aren't comfortable they're not going to do their best work and again with that i would say if you're going into an environment the thing to look at try and get a measure of how much your work is going to be valued by not just by the people you're working for but the people you're working with um, and if you can find somewhere where your work is valued that is that's the goal that's that's what you want i think if that it's very rare for people to you, to get the problems either side if in the middle they really value the core contribution that you're making and the, the reason there's a valid reason for you to be there. Yeah, and if you've got supportive team members that are willing to help you and support you, especially if you're a junior developer, that's going to be so much better than people who are saying, you need to do it like this, this and this, and we can't have a conversation about it. This is the way to do it. You're doing it wrong. That's not a very helpful um, environment to be in. 
No. Yeah, so maybe it's worth looking at how many juniors a company has. I mean, you say that, I, I want to say that, oh, yeah, that's the dream, having the supportive colleagues around there. But it's not a dream. It's a, it's a reality and a lot of, that's why this is such a great industry to be in, is that the vast majority of places are really good places to work. People who get into this mm. are interesting, intellectually curious people who are open to new ideas, generally speaking, I find. And you, if you work with those kind of people, you're going to have a good time, generally. Yeah, and I think from what I've experienced anyway, people who do do well in companies are generally not people that are abrasive and unhelpful. They're people that have helped other people and therefore you kind of get that help back in return so that you can kind of rise up in the ranks if you want to or become like head of a team, for example. Yeah, I think that's the biggest benefit to being self-taught as well is that you have first-hand experience of the generosity and uh, openness of the tech community because the only reason people can teach themselves how to code and get good like good enough to do it as a career and to be successful, you can only be that good if you've got fantastic resources to draw upon. And there are so many good resources out there that are like 90% of them are coming out of people's willingness to share what they're working on and to share how they work and try and improve the industry as a whole. Yeah, I don't I think I don't know if it's unique to coding, but it seems very counter to other areas I've had experience in. Mm. That's a very good point. There's, there are a lot of volunteers when it comes to helping people learn to code. Look at like Free Code Camp and Exorcism, for example. They're just people volunteering their time. They're not trying to get a profit out of it. They're just doing it because they really enjoy what they do and they want to help other people do it. Yeah, and sometimes, it, I mean, I don't want to make us look good by proxy, but the, there's a lot of fantastic podcasts and interviews. Like Loads of people have taken their time to talk at length about what they do and share their insights. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and I think most podcasts probably don't really make any money off it. You're just doing it like we are, just because we enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. Actually, ended, that's ended, actually ended up being much more positive than I was anticipating, <laughs> given the <laughs> given the topic. Um, I think the final point, the final like factor, is that, that I would make sure we touch on before we go is that sometimes things are just hard. It's some some code is difficult to write, so you might you might make the wrong choice just because it's really, yeah. really tough. Yeah, and coming in as a junior, you're not going to write the best code. You're not going to have the experience of seeing the different uh, patterns and things like that where you know what to write. Um, you are going to make mistakes, and that's fine. But then if you've got that community of people around you that are able to help you, then that's going to bring that up and hopefully help that level of code quality. Like not having a code review is going to make bad code, isn't it, by thinking the one person knows it all by sharing your code and helping each other you're going to spot things that wouldn't have been spotted otherwise yeah so the, the power of pairing as well is another thing that, that clicks into that so combined with a good process for code review yeah yeah and also and also we should em we should emphasize as well that code doesn't have to be perfect i mean if it works that's the first hurdle done if it if it's if it works and is fast that's like Everything else is a vanity on top of that. You want to make it good code because you're going to have to maintain it. And there's all sorts of reasons you want to like put the effort in to make sure that what you write is like, quote unquote, good, like objectively mm. good. But if it works and is fast, that's a, that's a lot of the battle done in terms of getting getting your, your job done and, and calling it a success. Yeah, it's kind of harking back to the 80%, 20% rule of... 80% of the work uh, was it 20% of the work gets 80% of the results and yeah. then you're spending the rest of the time kind of polishing up stuff where that doesn't always need to happen so I think bad code is is bad I suppose um, but 
sometimes it's kind of a necessary evil for actually getting stuff out into the world and getting stuff done. So I don't think it necessarily needs to be seen as this the worst thing in the world to see bad code. Um, but it's also good when you've got the opportunity to make sure that you write code as good as you can and kind of think about the things we've talked about and making sure what can you do to try and make the code that you're writing as good as possible, despite all these impediments. Yeah. And the Pareto principle, which is the 80-20 rule, will only get you so far as well. You've got to have a certain sense of, of judgment as to, to what is what is the right amount of effort to put in. Yeah. And a lot of that comes with just having experience, which some of us don't have like me. <laughs> um, I'm gaining it. <laughs> but some people do have experience and then that's where you listen to them. Yeah. But no one was born with experience. Every, everyone who has experience had to come to it the hard way. Um, as most of our listeners are in the process of doing, um, as we are both doing in our careers, gaining experience as we go. Every time we come across a problem, we're going to be slightly better at it than we were before. Yeah, that's a really good point. So thanks a lot for listening this week. Uh, make sure you check us out on Twitter at AQO Code. And you can find us online at aqoc.dev or questionofcode.com. And feel free to send us any questions you've got, however simple you may think they are. We're happy to have a go at answering them for you. Yeah, do do send the questions. Eventually, we're going to run out of like being able to think of things ourselves. So, input from listeners is always useful. Is I think our some of our best episodes have come from sort of that outside influence. So, thanks a lot for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. See ya.